join with me in turning to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Tell you what, grab a Bible. We've got several that are in the basket in front of you. I want you to actually handle physically the Word of God. If you are able to do that, grab a Bible. A lot of times we, we don't ask you to do that, but today I'm asking you to do that. It's, uh, it's for a reason. Grab a Bible, look at it, and also hear it this morning as we read from this passage in Matthew chapter 11. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven, is greater than he. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. We pray now a blessing on this reading of your word and our hearing it. May we see today, we pray in your most holy name. Amen. Around this time of the year, Advent and Christmas, many of our thoughts may wander to family members that have passed away. And for some, this is a very tough time of the year. They remember uh, Christmases at grandmother's house, and grandmother's house is not accessible anymore. They remember the long stories that were told around the table, and those telling them are not here anymore. Maybe this is your first Christmas without a loved one, without a friend. My thoughts recently have gone to Jerome Reimer, who was with us for a little over a year at Harvest Point when we were still at Goot's Place, and a blessed brother in the faith. First met him at Calhoun as a student of mine, and then he began to come to our church, and, and just, a, just a, I mean, honestly, a saint of God. Just joy in him and around him, and a, just... Some people you just are pleasant to be around. He's one of those guys. 
You just feel better after leaving His presence. One of the things that He used to say all the time to me that, that I still hear Him say, even in His absence, even though He's crossed over to the other side now, the thing that I still can hear in my mind is I would say, Jerome, good to see you, man. And he would always come back with, it's good to be seen, Brother Marshall. It's good to be seen. Isn't it? Isn't it good to be seen? We don't like to go through life unnoticed. It's good to be seen. It may be better to see. To see. You say, well, most of us, I think, in here can, can see. I don't, I don't know what you mean. And yet, as we read the Gospels, we see people who can see with their eyes, but not see with the eye of faith. God Himself, right in front of them, clothed in the flesh, and they can't recognize Him. I wonder if we have experienced some of that same blindness. Especially blinding during the Advent and Christmas seasons, where things are go, 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 and buy, 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 and money's going, and time is flying out the window. I wonder if we really ever even see Christ. Or if it's a big shebang with no buck, with no point. Jerome, I think if he were here, he would tell us, look, it's good to be seen, but it's better and it's more joyful to actually be able to see God and see other people. Not just yourself. Not living just for yourself, but God. And we find here in our text in Matthew 11 here, sort of a different John, don't we? We just spoke of John last week. As a firebrand out in the wilderness, crazily dressed, talking about an axe being laid at the root. God's about to chop you down if you are standing tall and not producing fruit. And now we meet a John who has been imprisoned. We learn later what that imprisonment is for by Herod. But for now... Matthew just tells us that he is in prison. And now he sends some messengers, some disciples of his, to go ask the Christ, his cousin, Jesus, who he has actually already baptized and said of that I can't, I'm not even worthy to carry his shoes. And now John says, tell us, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? I always find it fascinating when I read the Bible, compared to other literature, especially other religious literature. A lot of stuff tries to convince you to believe something. And in order to convince somebody to believe something, you know, sometimes you have to leave out details, right? I mean, you know what I mean. Like, if you want to convince, say, your wife that you need a new gun for hunting, you know. Might want to leave out the price, you know. 
I might want to leave out the fact that you're talking about the sight as well, which is going to be about as much as the gun. Or maybe on the other end, the, the wife to the husband may leave out all the different gifts that she has to give for everybody and just tell of certain ones and hope that the other ones don't get noticed. Sometimes when we're trying to convince somebody of something, the last thing we want to do is give them all the details. And you do this in your argumentation. I know, we all do. It's natural to have a good argument to hit the high points without all the nitty-gritty details that might be confusing or even downright depressing. But the Bible doesn't work like that. The Bible gives us in the Gospels a story of Jesus... That is all I can say true. Because you have people that, is, that are right beside God in the flesh and they doubt Him. They don't believe Him. Now if I'm trying to get you to believe in somebody, somebody dressed maybe in a red coat or something with reindeer, the last thing I want to do is tell you how many people don't believe in that character. That's not going to help my cause. I'm going to show you all the people who do believe it. All the movies that support that kind of thinking. All the songs that would have us believe that. And leave out all the people who are the naysayers. But this is not the way the Gospels are presented, are they? Even here, the one who introduces Jesus, the Messiah. A family member of his, for crying out loud. John the Baptist is seen Presumably, doubting. Sitting in a prison cell. In a dark circumstance, I think we could all agree. Doubting whether or not he is the one. Or should we look for another? That's not the only place this happens. Peter doubts. Thomas doubts. Even at the ascension, it says... They worshipped him, but some doubted. The Bible gives us a truthful picture of people's response to Jesus. Not a fake one. Not one that would pull the wool over our eyes, but rather tell us the truth. And in sometimes telling the truth, it hurts. So this morning, I want to tell you the truth about seeing God. I've told you about my Ramsey Hunt syndrome, my rare syndrome disease, whatever you want to call it, that I contracted on a trip to Columbus, Ohio, to a holiness partnership meeting with my professor and a couple other students when I was in college. A very rare thing that not many people get. My mom always told me I was one of a kind, you know. And on that same trip, there was something I don't think I've I've told a lot of you, and that was this. Uh, I got to spend some time with a professor there that I actually had come to really respect theologically speaking and just as a teacher really really respect him and we shared a room uh, together on that trip and you know getting to know as a college guy getting to know this older dude and stuff like that you know and and he's like way up here to me in my mind and one night uh, as as we were we were uh, already in bed he just sort of said to me he goes he goes, Marshall, you ever, um, you ever think all this stuff is just not real? You're just... I said, well, um, 
sort of timidly. I mean, I don't know if it was like a test question or what, you know. Um, I said, yeah, I mean, yeah, sometimes I, yeah. Yeah, sometimes I, I think, you know, is this really real, honestly? And he said, me too. He turned over and went straight to bed. Um, I, on the other hand, remained there uh, looking up at the ceiling for, for quite some time, thinking to myself, wow, if this guy who has been teaching theology as a pastor, you know, just seemed light years ahead of me in the faith, um, if he has those thoughts, maybe I'm not so bad after all. You ever have doubts? We're not always, if we're truthful, able to clearly see Jesus. A lot of things get in our way. And yet, our doubt can lead to faith. It doesn't have to lead to unbelief. It's natural to doubt. I've had somebody standing right in front of me telling me a story about something that happened, and I'm sitting there thinking, is that for real? Is is he embellishing at all? Honestly. I've actually done that with somebody. Oh, you've done it with me. Sometimes you may look up here and think, does he really believe that? I hope you think I really believe it. I base my life upon it. I teach my kids. I trust Jesus with everything that I have, that I know to have. And you know what? (laughs) Kind of like Blaise Pascal said many years ago, you know what? If if it comes to the end of my life and it was all a farce, it was a great life to live. By any account, across the world's religions, if you live according to the Bible, they're going to say, hey, I can live with that. That's a good person. Can we truly see how much does doubt blind us? And what truly blinds us? I think what really blinds us is sin. Sin will blind you faster than anything in the world. When you get involved with sin... It's like entering into a dark room. You think you're in control until you can't see anymore. And then you don't know how to get out. And then you begin to trip over things and begin to hurt yourself and other people. I've seen so many people growing up as a pastor's kid, being a pastor myself, who were super strong in the faith and entered into sin and went into straight darkness. They destroyed their family. They destroyed their own lives. They didn't know how to get out. Some of them returned to Christ. Some of them, I can tell you, did not. Sin is blinding. It is darkness. Helen Keller said this, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight, but no vision. Do you have vision from on high? Not something you conjure up. Not a self-help motivation sort of thing. Not some kind of psychological trivia of your mind. But I mean a mandate from God. Kind of like the Blues Brothers. I'm on a mission from God. Gad, I think that's how they said it. But truly, are you on a mission from God? Are you just wandering about 
in the shadows, in the darkness. You don't have to remain there. God can fill you with vision. And I don't mean up here, 2020. I mean vision from God. He can fill your life with His purposes. And when you are fulfilling God's purposes, it's better than getting any kind of thank you or bonus from a boss or from a friend. This is God Almighty. And we can walk in His ways. And yet we're told by Barna in his most, one of his most recent studies of the church that only 11% of Christians in America are growing in their faith. So in any given congregation, 11% are growing. The rest of us have fallen asleep at the will. The rest of us are sitting on the bench. There's really two problems he identified in that study, and the first was this, churches are not growing. They may be sharing memberships. People may be floating from church to church, but they're not but church is not growing in America. And also, secondly, growing churches aren't growing people. So there may be some big churches or big movements, but typically, according to his research, still eleven percent. A lot of people but only 11% are actually walking in the light. Life can be dark. Not only sin can blind us, but life, circumstances, death of a loved one can rock your world in a way that nothing else has. Depression. Just life in general. It gets foggy at times, doesn't it? The fog of war, as we sometimes call it, on the battlefield can also be the fog of our own lives in this battle for our soul. Sometimes we can forget what's important when it's right in front of us. They're living in your house and we forget. You sleep with them in the same bed and we forget who's important. They're your friends that you've given your life to over the years. They're your church family. They're right in front of you, but because of fog. You know how fog works. When a fog descends on a place, something can be right in front of you. You can't see it anymore. Things become hazy. You begin to get disoriented. There are no markers for true north. The thing thing that can cut through the fog is light, is the sun. It burns away our fog. How many of us honestly need that fog to be lifted? When it is, things that you thought you were dissatisfied with, like that spouse or those children or that job, begin to have new light because new light is cast upon them. It's not them who needs a change. It's you. It's me. Humans have an interesting way of not being satisfied. Our hearts 
are restless. And they will never find true rest, as St. Augustine said so many years ago in the 4th century. Our hearts are restless till they rest in Thee. There is no rest for the weary that travel through this world without the light. But with Christ comes light. We've been singing about it all morning. With Christ comes light. We have these physical reminders in front of us. You handled the Word of God this morning in a very physical way, which is Jesus' answer to our sin problem. He doesn't just give us some spiritual self-help book. People are real spiritual today, but they're not Christian. Christianity means you show up. Christianity means you handle one another. Christianity means you actually eat of His body and drink of His blood. The water passes over you. These are physical signs of something spiritual that He wants to do in us and with our body. You see, He took on a body which means matter matters. Yet some of us remain in darkness. Some of us remain blinded with no vision. So what do we do? What what do we do when we can't see? (laughs) Well, I think think we'd all agree that the last thing you want to do when you can't see is start walking around or running. And just close your eyes and try to get out of this building. That'd be funny. Maybe we should do that at the Christmas party. For liability reasons, we won't. One of the things they tell you to do when you get lost is hang tight. Stay still. Stay in that area. You can make some circles around that particular area, but don't go looking for the right direction when you don't know where you are. Because when help comes to the last place that we knew you were, you're gone. And yet, this is exactly what we do in our spiritual life. Things begin to get restless, dissatisfied. We become foggy, headed, and we start running. We start thinking we can handle it. We start running to this and running to that. And we begin to hurt ourselves and other people. No, no, Advent would tell us to wait Wait. Advent is a time of waiting. Did you hear what James said earlier? Wait patiently. Easier said than done, right? Amen? Especially on the roadways. Probably get a hallelujah out of that one. Somebody's getting rib punched right now. That's you. If my wife was beside me, she would rib punch me. You see, when we're blind and we can't see... One of the best things you can do is listen. (laughs) Just close your eyes and you'll start really peeking your hearing buds. Start really picking stuff up. Now, that's exactly what Jesus tells John, isn't it? John comes with this question and he says, Are you the one or should we wait for another? And Jesus says this, Go and tell John what you hear and what you see. 
That's why I got you to pick up your Bible. I want you to see it. I want you to hear it this morning. Because once you see it and you hear it, you're responsible for it. You say, well, what is your vision here at Harvest Point? Our vision is not buildings. You can see that because we rent a building. We don't even have a building. Our vision is not bodies just to count each Sunday to say, hey, we had 20% more, 10%. Hey, we love bodies, just like God loves bodies. We don't measure vision by how many people we have. Not buildings, not bodies, not budgets. We're not going to measure by how much money we take up or how much money we necessarily give out. Rather, the vision at Harvest Point is to prepare souls for heaven. We want to prepare your soul to go to heaven. That's the final destination. If we're not doing that, we're not doing anything. Not only that, we want to plant seeds of the gospel and help you plant them as well. Because you have circles, you have fields that need to be planted in your life. That need to be cultivated and nurtured in your life. People that need you, we want to help you do that. And we want to produce fruit of the kingdom. So the acts of Advent, like we talked about last week, doesn't come chopping on our tree. You know, it's funny that an apple tree doesn't eat apples. A lot of the stuff we produce, you know, we produce a meal, I cook up something, very rare. I eat it. An apple tree doesn't eat its apples. And neither does this tree at Harvest Point. We want to give it out. We are growing something to share with the world, with this city. With your friends. Not growing something to get bigger or better, but growing something to give to the world. It's why we want to, in 2017, rolling off hot off the press this morning, are these three things that we want to do. We want to follow the great commandment. That's to love God and to love others. We want to follow the great commitment of serving God. And others. God calls us to serve. And when I read Revelations, it says that even when we get to heaven, we'll be serving God. Serving is something we start here and it never ends, just like love. And we want to follow the great commission to go. This is what Jesus just said, go and tell. And he's still saying it today. Go and tell. Go and tell and show with your own body that's sitting right here in front of me. Each of us have been given this body just as Jerome had. His body, which has been laid down here. And he's with Jesus now. But you know what? That body won't remain here. It will be resurrected. Didn't we just say, I believe in the resurrection of the dead? We did. And as we think about our loved ones during this holiday season, those who have died in faith will be raised up to new life. 
And that's good news. You see, when things are dark, when it gets foggy, when we're blinded, the last thing we need to do is is take off running. Two left turns don't make a right. Lewis, C.S. Lewis talked about how our soul has these notches on it when we bump into things. And either it makes us holier or it makes us more evil. What we need to do is to stop, to orient ourselves, and then we can move forward as we turn around. It's sort of what we talked about months ago about prayer, and that is stop, look, and listen. Some of us need to do some patient listening during Advent and listen to the voice of God in our own lives. And only then will His light come in patiently waiting. I've been camping before and I was so longing for the day to come so I could get up. I don't sleep very well out in the woods. And I'm just like, I'm ready for the daylight. This night seems to go on forever. And when the day breaks, we get up and we move. Some of us are asleep at the wheel. Some of us have snoozed off and we're dangerously close to going into a ditch. It's time to wake up. The light has come. The dawn is breaking. And the morning star is shining brightly. If you want to really know who I am, you really need to get to know four, four different movie series or books. You already know the first one, L-O-T-R, for short, Lord of the Rings. Harry Potter, The Matrix, and The Chronicles of Narnia. And as I was preparing this, my mind obviously drifted to those four stories. And as the shadow of Mordor came over Middle Earth, people got scared. People needed help. It's what the whole movie's about. And then I thought about Harry Potter and all the dark creatures and the dark Lord. Then I started thinking about Neo and the Matrix and the scorched earth trying to rid themselves of the machines that at that time were solar powered. And the sky was darkened. And then I thought of the Chronicles of Narnia where there was winter but never Christmas. Doesn't that accurately describe our world? That we're passing through. We're in the shadow of the enemy. The earth has been scorched by sin. And there is a dark Lord. And it seems sometimes that winter is long. And that spring will never come. But in all of those stories, the light wins out. The light comes, whether it's the light of Arendelle, whether it's the light of Christ for us. The light is shining. Do we have our eyes open to see it? Can we see with the eye of faith? If you say, you know what, Marsha, I really, I can't. I'm being honest, I really can't. All you got to do is ask. That's what Jesus says. Just ask for light. And then turn to it. And you'll see it. We're in a darkened cell, but the door is open. He has opened it himself. 
And as Dumbledore said, happiness can be found even in the darkest of times when, only, when one only remembers to turn on the light. Or maybe as Isaiah said, arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Do you see that light? I mentioned C.T. Studd at the beginning when I talked about the manger offering. One last quote and we're done. We all want to finish well. And it's high time to wake up. We're closer now to salvation than when we first begun. Here's what he said. Let us not glide through this world and then slip quietly into heaven without having blown the trumpet loud and long for our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Let us see to it that the devil will hold a thanksgiving service in hell when he gets the news of our departure from the field of battle. Are you on the battlefield? Do you know what the mission is? Are you walking in the light? Jerome walked in that light. Jerome knew that light and is today in light himself. And just as I still hear Jerome saying to me, in my own mind, it's good to be seen, so too we must remember Jesus and his words to us to remember me. Amen.